Investing involves risk. The value of an investment and the income from it may fall as well as rise and investors might not get back the full amount invested. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. The mention of any particular security or strategy should not be considered as a recommendation. For further information on the Allianz Technology Trust, please go to www.allianztechnologytrust.com. Hello and welcome to Silicon Valley Bite Size, an update on the tech sector from the Allianz Technology Trust. I'm Cherry Reynard. Many of you will be familiar with the trust, but for those who aren't, ATT invests in quoted technology companies across the globe with the aim of achieving long-term capital growth. Since 2007, the trust has been managed by the experienced team based in Silicon Valley, the epicenter of the world's technology industry. For our latest episode of Bite Size, I'm joined by Walter Price and Mike Seidenberg, fund managers on the trust, to talk us through the key developments in the technology sector and share their insights. Hi, Walter. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi, Cherry. Um, Walter, if we could start with you. Um, this time last year was a volatile moment for the US, to say the least. Um, 12 months on, how has a new administration played out for investors, particularly those in the technology sectors? What have been the kind of key macroeconomic and geopolitical issues? Well, I think the administration has uh, done a good job of uh, handling the coronavirus crisis in the United States. Uh, you know, they're very much uh, pro-vaccination and pro-booster and uh, pro-mask. And so, I, you know, I feel like, we, you know, we had some science injected into the issues associated with this pandemic. And so I think that's good. Um, and that's allowed the U.S. to uh, start to recover. Um, actually, the economy has been very strong um, this year. And then uh, in terms of their stimulus bills, they got the infrastructure bill passed. Uh, so that's a billion dollars. Uh, um now a trillion dollars that's uh, that's uh, underway, and then uh, they have another one that's uh, in process, that's half passed, you might say. That's another a uh, couple trillion dollars over, you know, five or ten years. So uh, you know they're they're definitely focusing on um, um, rebuilding the economy, rebuilding roads and bridges and moving us to, uh, moving the United States to uh, a more climate neutral environment. And so, you know, they're working on some of the hard problems that the U.S. has. So, you know, I think in general, uh, uh, the, the stimulus for the economy and the outlook for the economy is, is pretty good. And sticking with you, Walter, the, um, I mean, inflation has proved more persistent than, ex than expected. I think, it, I think it's been a sort of a north of 5% since May, if that's right. Are you, I mean, are you worried about rate rises in the year ahead? And, and again, how are you seeing those, that sort of inflationary pressure play out? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say we're, we're very worried about inflation. Inflation is uh, at record levels, at least record levels for the last decade. Um, and we have a, a, an active discussion in our group about whether this is, uh, you know, a, a temporary thing, meaning it's going to be better in a year or whether this is something that's going to last for several years. Um, 
clearly, uh, you know, the stopping the economy and then restarting the economy has led to all sorts of supply chain issues and, you know, virus spreads and factories and supply chains around the world didn't help, uh, didn't help that, uh, that transition or that recovery. Uh, so there, you know, there's, there's lots of inflation, there's lots of shortages, uh, uh, and the question is how fast can we recover from those? Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the good news in some sense is that there's an awareness that this is a problem. Um, the Federal Reserve has now identified this as a problem and they're talking about large, you know, several increases, more rapid increases in interest rates and, and tapering uh, the stimulus programs that they've had on the monetary side over the next year. So, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, auto companies are signing longer term agreements with their suppliers. Uh, so everybody's kind of reacting to this higher inflation. Uh, you know, as we look at it, there are two aspects of inflation. There, there's goods inflation, um, which, which basically uh, requires you to add capacity uh, in, in different factories, particularly in the semiconductor industry. And that, you know, that's a year long process. So uh, that's, that shortage is not going to be alleviated until the second half of 2022 at the earliest. And then there's labor inflation. Labor inflation, we don't think is gonna get alleviated. Uh, there's a demographic issue that we've been talking about for a year now. And, um, you know, there are gonna be shortages of uh, people for the next uh, decade. And so uh, that is not something you're gonna alleviate. You're gonna need technology to help you uh, solve that. And then on, on top of the normal recovery in the economy, you're also trying to pivot the economy to a a greener world and a greener uh, uh, energy source. So that means you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not only trying to recover, for example, in the auto industry uh, to manufacture existing cars, but you're trying to build all these new factories uh, by all the different auto manufacturers to make electric vehicles and, and try to move as quickly as possible to electric vehicles and uh, in the world. And so, you know, that's causing, uh, you know, shortages of, uh, you know, people and land and uh, batteries and, and electric cars. Uh, so, uh, you know, there are lots of transitions going on. I, I, I suspect that inflation is going to be here longer than I would like to, than I had hoped it would be. And uh, it's going to be an issue for the next couple of years. Thanks, Walter. Um, Mike, turning to you, I wonder if we could zero in on that um, sort of labour shortage um, a little bit um, and look at, you know, are there certain parts of the tech sector that win from that and certain parts that lose? You know, I'm, I'm assuming that um, there are parts of the tech sector that that will um, that will benefit as companies need to need more tech solutions to replace sort of lost labor. Um, could you talk about that a little? Sure. Uh, so I think you know you're spot on. You know it's a little bit of a double edged sword uh, for the tech sector. On the one hand, 
you know, as Walter alluded to, the technology sector, generally speaking, has products that make people efficient. And, you know, I often remind myself, you know, you wouldn't have financial, a financial system that's on a, that is a software solution. You know, if you didn't have that, you'd have rooms full of people, you know, inputting things into ledgers, which we saw, you know, a long time ago. So I think that, you know, you, um, you have products that increase collaboration, you have products that increase um, the efficacy of knowledge workers, and, and those are really good things uh, for companies, and they help offset some of the challenges associated with the labor with the labor shortage in the supply chain. But on the other side, you know, your inputs, which are people, um, you know, we are seeing those which were already a scarce resource become even more of a scarce resource. So I think companies have to decide, you know, are, how invaluable are our employees and what am I going to do to make them really want to stay and work here uh, for long periods of time? You know, a lot of those solutions also happen to be technology solutions, you know, whether it's the ability to get your messaging across if you're the CEO down to the, you know, the, 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 a line worker on a factory about our goals and objectives. That's usually solved vis-a-vis uh, -vis technology. So, so I see it as, you know, a challenge on the supply chain of labor side. And, and the other side of the coin to me is the opportunity for many of these companies to actually see their solutions in a, in a, war, in a more widely deployed manner, uh, which is good for, because obviously when you're widely deployed, that's a fun, you know, that becomes revenue. So it's a little bit of a tale of two cities, in my opinion. Great. Thanks, Mike. Um, I wonder if we could just do a little um, crystal ball gazing for 2022, just before we um, come on to the um, closer look at the tech sector. But um, Walter, what are your views on the likely trajectory of the global economy over the next 12 months? Well, the, the economy was very strong in 2021 because we were recovering from the pandemic. Uh, so, you know, we saw GDP, real GDP numbers that we haven't seen, you know, in the six to seven percent range uh, in, in some quarters. So uh, obviously it's not going to be that strong in 2022, but I think the backdrop is still for a strong economy. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's still a lot of money in the economy from people having saved during the pandemic and having uh, gotten uh payments from the government if they were laid off. And so uh, there's a shortage of labor, so people can move, uh, readily move to higher paying jobs. Uh, and there are plenty of jobs in the economy if you wanna work. And so, uh, you know, I think the economy is, is very vibrant right now. Uh, so looking at 2022, I think it's, it, it's going to be a good year for the economy. It's gonna be a strong year for the economy. And um, the question is, you know, how much of a break does, do higher interest rates uh, create to the economy? I, I think uh, it won't be much until uh, 2023 or 2024. Okay, and, and Mike, do you think that will be reflected in corporate earnings as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I think corporations, as we move to a higher interest rate period, corporations will probably have to think a little differently about their spending trajectory. Um, given that, um, you know, as money becomes more expensive, um, you know, you, you, you have to allocate differently. Uh, so I think that that's at the margin, that's probably a good thing for corporations and that, you know, you know, our core fundamental is, you know, as bottoms of investors, we really look at business models that we think are sustainable for a long duration of time. Um, so that's probably a positive at the margin 
for for our companies. But you know, I think that I think Walt Walt kind of hit the hammer on the nail. And I think the other thing that kind of looms in the background with this kind of uh, you know this kind of better economy is just how people kind of work their through work their way through various variations of you know the virus and what does that mean to productivity and you know potential lockdowns et cetera et cetera so I do think that to me that is a little bit of a headwind or why I would say it's a wild card I, I don't know if it's a headwind I definitely don't think it's a tailwind uh, but you know I think it's TBD with respect to responses to stuff like that um, uh, and the other thing that you know we really spend time thinking about is how do you get people back to work you know how, how do, what and what does that mean to the companies we invest in because obviously you want to fill you want to fill those jobs um, and you want to fill those jobs in order to create new iterations of your product um, and to, you know, increase your kind of, you know, your touch with respect to your customers on the sales side. So, you know, uh, generally speaking, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a good time to, to be an employee. Um, is my general uh, okay. Thanks. Uh, Mike, I wonder if you can talk about performance a little bit, you know, particularly the performance of, some of the bigger technology stocks versus the rest of the market and, you know, what, what you've been seeing about the kind of market mood. Yeah. So I think, you know, big tech um, has continued to really be a dominant aspect um, of the market. I think that, you know, uh, as you see uh, potential rises in interest rates, you know, there is a flight to safety uh, for names like this, plus their underlying fundamental businesses continue to do well. Um, so I think that, you know, it's for our fund, it's been, uh, it's, it's, it's been a headwind because it's not our core area of focus. Um, and if anything, we probably should have been larger in some of those names, but, you know, we'll work our way through it. You know, we, we you know, tend to look for you know, kind of a specific um, kind of algorithm as we look at stocks. But I think that, you know, the big tech companies are continue to do well. And I think that, uh, you know, the demise is uh, whatever, you know, you keep on hearing about their, their dominant uh, from an index perspective and from a time spent perspective, you know, they're pretty reasonably valued given kind of the amount of time that is spent on their products and the multiples that they trade in uh, trade at, excuse me. Okay. Thanks. Um, Walter, have you got anything to add to that, you know, particularly on the valuation side? I think big tech is, uh, has a slightly higher valuation than the market. But if you look at the characteristics of the companies in terms of their free cash flow, their ability to buy their stock back and their, uh, and their growth um, and their ability to pass on inflation. I mean, you've seen, you've seen Apple increase prices. Uh, you've seen, um, you've seen, uh, you know, ad prices go up significantly for Google and Facebook and Amazon. Um, you know, Amazon's the one that seems to be uh, faring the worst with inflation because they they employ uh, a million workers, over a million workers, and so uh, the shortage of workers and the turnover of workers is is putting pressure on their on their costs. But uh, you know, I, I think that they're also starting to pass those through uh, to consumers. But uh, that that company's probably been hurt more uh, than the other ones. Uh, but all of them are doing relatively well. Okay, thanks. Uh, sticking with you, Walter. I mean, what do you make of the regulatory 
interest in the tech sector? I mean, obviously, earlier in the year, we had the kind of crackdown in China and, you know, China has its own dynamics. But you know, are there certain lessons for the technology companies around the world in that? You know, there seem to be you know, governments paying more attention to the social impact of technology as well. I mean, how are you looking at that in the portfolio? Well, I think it's a risk to... Uh... I mean, I, I think the Biden administration in the U.S. and other administrations around the world are looking at the power of the big technology companies and, and they feel that they need to be controlled and they need to be, uh, uh, you know, they need to be monitored and, uh, and very often they need to be fined. And so we've seen big fines to the large tech companies uh, this year and last year. Higher taxes are coming for, for companies in general. So I think that, uh, but I think that, uh, you know, setting aside China, I think the rest of the world is, you know, understands that, you know, big tech is interested in growing their business and growing their profits and um, that this can be a, you know, this is their number one objective uh, and, uh, you know, they need to be directed and they need to be controlled. And so I think you're going to see more and more regulation and more and more attempts to, uh, control these companies in the future uh, by governments um, and more fines for misbehavior. And I would just add one thing to that. And I agree with Walt, you know, let's not forget that, you know, there, high, there is high utility amongst many of these products um, on a daily basis by consumers. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we'll see more regulation, but, um, you know, if you think about kind of running your daily lives, um, you know, these companies are, are, are very involved um, in our daily lives from a from a consumer running it perspective. You know, if you just think about your actions on a daily basis. So there's high utility there, um, which probably warrant, you know, which probably means they're not going away anytime soon. Thanks, Mike. Um, Walter, flicking back to you on the um, I know you, we've we've talked before a little bit about the metaverse and obviously we've had. The, the name change for Facebook um, quite recently. Um, you've kind of said before that you don't share Mark Zuckerberg's vision exactly. I wonder if you could talk a bit more about A, what his vision is, and B, you know, wh why you don't share some of his views. Well, I think uh, the metaverse, as, as Mark uh, Zuckerberg would have it, is it's a Facebook, it's a Facebook metaverse that uh, everybody lives in and is controlled by Facebook. And obviously that would be wonderful for Facebook and wonderful for Mark Zuckerberg. He would be, um, you know, the ruler of the, uh, the ruler of the metaverse <laughs> and the metaverse would be the new world. I, I don't think that's, uh, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but, uh, you know, clearly Facebook feels pressure from other uh, competitors. Uh, they feel pressure from, Google and Apple um, who have different attitudes about privacy than they do. And so, um, you know, and they, they live on the information about uh, the, the people that are on Facebook and off of Facebook that they collect uh, often without their, their permission. And so I think, uh, you know, as governments and companies are trying to rein in uh, Facebook's uh, data feeds coming from people and people are more conscious of of, uh, you know, uh, 
the fact that their data is is being used and being taken with that with, with or without their permission you know i think that's a barrier for facebook so facebook's trying to provide a new environment that would be uh you know the ability to like, like you have in many game and i think uh mark zuckerberg is you know of the generation that grew up in video games and you know you play uh you play in metaverses and many uh in many video games where you you have an avatar and you can buy uh, different outfits and uh, different personas for that avatar and you can you know it's almost like you can be you can play that character uh, for as long as you want to while you're in that game and I I think uh, you know that's probably uh, attractive to a number of people that are uh, you know that are gamers they understand the metaverse there have been movies made about the metaverse and so mark is looking at this and saying well you know if i can move the population into this new world it's much better for facebook and i've got the power and the money to try to do that and so that's what he's focused on you know i i I basically think people still enjoy getting together and interacting in person as opposed to through an avatar or through uh you know a metaverse and um you know, that, you know, people have made references to movies uh, about metaverses. You know, I, I've watched some of those movies. That's not a very attractive world that they that they depict in that in those movies. So I don't want that world. So I, I guess when I look at uh, the, the future, I think uh, there will be times where you want to, uh, you know, you want to fantasize or you want to... Uh, uh, play a game or, uh, you know, play a part, uh, but you still want to be yourself in, you know, with your friends in real life. And so that's why I'm less enthusiastic about the world converting to the metaverse uh, than, than Mark is. And, and then just to, just to add to Walt's comments, you know, it makes total sense for us that he would, that, that, that Facebook would pivot this way. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a new playing field, um, that they're creating, they give them the advantage. So, um, you know, I, I understand uh, the, his slash their excitement about it, um, given kind of, you know, the, the current world of, of, of their products and, 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 and where those live and the challenges on that. So, I mean, it, it, I think neither of us, I think both of us agree, it, it, you know, it makes sense. It, it makes sense to try it, you know, if you're Facebook given kind of what the outlook looks like uh, for your core products, which by the way, are not going away, you know, they're still growing, but the, you know, I, the, 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 the regulatory eyeballs are very much, uh, you know, tracked to them at this point. Okay. Thanks. Um, Mike, I wonder if you could talk about how the AI sector is developing more generally. I mean, are you sure. seeing new uses for it? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, you know, um, I see daily uses of it, which really kind of surprise me slash impress me. I'll give you an example. You know, we, uh, you know, Allianz uses, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Office 365. And as a user now, when they will make, um, they will, the, the product will make suggestions on replies. Um, so, and they, they appear to learn your niceties as a user, which I am, you know, which, saves you time, although I will say sometimes it's more efficient for me to type than it is to swipe. But you know, I, I think that that's just a daily use case where I've where I've noticed it and I've said, huh, clever, 
you know, makes me more efficient if I choose to use it. Um, you know, uh, you know, kind of what, you know, what does that mean over time? Um, so that's a, you know, that's a rudimentary example. So don't, you know, whatever. I thought that was interesting, but I think the more interesting uh, concept, and I was, uh, was at a basketball game the other day with, with a founder, uh, a startup founder, and we were talking about just what AI means to various businesses. I think that the ability to basically you know, take you know, just massive data sets and run algorithms over them and improve those algorithms with even bigger data sets is, is allowing companies just to get to answers to questions quicker. Um, so, you know, I remind myself when I worked at Oracle, you know, in the late 90s, we knew what the questions were. We just didn't have the ability to cheaply and efficiently answer them in many cases. I um, mean, I think so AI, you know, whether you think about medicine, whether you think about, you know, optimizing, you know, whatever, net, various networks, transportation networks, whatever it is, I think that, that AI is going to be an augmented portion of kind of how businesses do business. And that'll, that'll bleed over to consumers, right? I mean, that'll, you'll see, you know, I mean, my, you'll see consumer examples of it. So yeah, I think as a tech investor, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm genuinely excited about, about it. And I'm really like, you know, I love to learn. So I, I'm, you know, it's a great opportunity to, to kind of, you know, continue to learn new, a new skill set and understand, you know, deeper understanding of technology. I, I don't know, Walt, what do you, I mean, do you see, uh, do you see daily use cases in your own kind of daily life? Well, I think the hot area in technology in 2021 and 2022 is this idea of accumulating data about your, uh, about your customer, about your business, and then figuring out how to run your business or your relationships with your customer, or your supplier better. You know, I, I think every company with the supply chain issues, with the inability to get customers in the stores is, is, you know, you know, the, the trite word is digital transformation, but it, it really means using data to, to differentiate your customers and identify who your good customers are, keep them happy, keep them coming back. And as the cost of acquiring new customers has gone through the roof, whether it's, you know, the price on, you know, the price of Facebook ads is up 30 or 40% this year and Google ads the same. So, and it doesn't look like those are going to stop going up. So, you know, much easier to compile your own database of your customers with characteristics and go back to them. And so, I, I, you know, I think that's really great for technology companies because they're providing this, this ability to turn data into, turn data into sales, uh, basically, or turn data into profits. And so uh, I think that's the opportunity that I see with AI. Great, thanks, Walt. Right, let's let's take a look at the trust um, over the past few months. Um, Mike, I'll put this to you. So, you know, what are the investment changes you've made over the quarter? Yeah, you know, as, as we've talked about on this call, as interest rates become a, a larger for a larger factor in our investment framework, you know, we're looking at companies that, you know, that will have less sensitivity to that factor. Um, uh, so I think that, you know, we are, you know, as we kind of, as we're thinking about changes or as, as we made changes in the portfolio, um, just a more tilt towards companies that we think have the ability to, you know, grow earnings, buy back stock, 
um, you know, and be less less impacted uh, by 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 a potential increase or, or you know an inevitable increase in interest rates. Um, I think that puts us, you know, I think we've you know, we've been excited about the the, the semiconductor space. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening over there, so that's a sector of interest. And I think I think on you know on the software side, you know, I think that we are, we're focusing on you know companies that we think have you know the ability to you know to raise prices with our customers as we go through a higher interest rate environment. Um, but I would say it's you know more of a rifle approach. Um, Walt, would you anything to add? Well, I think uh, you know one of the things we've done is really examine our high growth software companies and say which ones are really creating an annuity stream and a you know a uh, a position in the world uh, of the of the company and the enterprise uh, for the next 20 or 30 years as people move to the cloud, who are the companies that are the core, uh, the core infrastructure builders, the core infrastructure providers, because those companies uh, as they mature will have, uh, you know, tremendous uh, profitability and cash flow, and they can optimize those numbers in the future. So, uh, you know, I think those annuities are underappreciated in some of these high growth companies. You know, there are other high growth companies that are, uh, you know, that are transitory, you know, while you're building out the metaverse or you're building out the, uh, you know, the digital transformation, you have high growth, but then, you know, you may have low growth and disappointment after that. And so, uh, you know, we're trying to separate our high growth companies into ones uh, that, you know, we want to double down on in some sense and, uh, and maybe trade out of the, the ones that have been good stocks, but are less, uh, that are more transitory. Uh, less well positioned. Yeah. You know, put the money into, you know, uh, you know, other companies and technology that have, uh, you know, the ability, as Mike said, to pass on prices and to, and to show, uh, you know, rising margins in this environment. And uh, sticking with you, Walter, are semiconductors one of those? I mean, where are you sitting on the semiconductor sector today? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, uh, uh, we believe that semiconductors are going through a big transition. Uh, as uh, their growth rate accelerates, uh, you need to build more factories. The factories have gotten a lot more uh, expensive and therefore you need a secularly higher return on sales than you had before. And I think people don't appreciate that the profitability, you know, as an investor, you're looking at the P&L. The P&L profitability has to increase because uh, the return on capital has to be high enough so you can build these plants. And so, uh, you know, if the plant doubles, your return on sales effectively has to double if the cost of the plant doubles. So, uh, you know, the, the profitability of this industry is going to continue to increase uh, much more than people think. And, uh, you know, and I think the growth rate is secularly higher than it has been um, uh, for, for the industry because of its importance in the economy. And just one thing to add that Walt uh, alluded to, uh, you know, as the price of the fab becomes more expensive, the barrier to entry becomes higher as well, right? So it kind of, it feeds on itself because, you know, you know, good luck going out <laughs> to a venture capitalist and saying, you know, Walter and I want to raise two, you know, $2 billion to build, you know, a, a, a fab, you know, by the way, that'd be the first check, right? It wouldn't even cover, you know, so I think that the industry has very unique characteristics 
uh, from a barrier perspective as well. Okay, and I, I sort of I feel like I ask this question sort of once a year, but um, <laughs> what is Christmas? <laughs> yes. Um, how much are you holding outside the U.S.? I mean, is there is there really any sort of we keep thinking that there'll be this big sort of diversification away from Silicon Valley and away from the U.S. But it, but it doesn't really seem to, to have happened very much. I mean, are there other countries where you're finding opportunities? I mean, so I think, we, and we probably answer it in a similar way every year. We are so agnostic with respect to where we look for opportunities. We really looked if you know, we 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 look for opportunities that have good risk reward globally. Um, and I and I often remind myself that just because a company is uh, headquartered in a certain area doesn't mean they're you know you know it doesn't mean they derive all of their revenues from that geography. So, I mean you know yeah I think they're like there are definitely some interesting uh, companies outside the U.S. I mean if you think about you know next generation payment processing you know there's super interesting companies uh, you know that that are continental Europe. Um, or that's where some of the locations are. You know, I hear, I don't think, you know, we never put, uh, we never put our thinking caps on with the, with the bias towards wanting to invest, you know, in us, in us companies. It just so happens that sometimes the market characteristics are such that you have to pay a higher multiple outside of the U S because of the scarcity. And that just means that the bar is higher just from a risk reward perspective, uh, but yeah, I mean, I've never considered ourselves U.S. investors only. Walt, what do you? I mean, I, what do you think? I, I I think in the semiconductor industry, what we've seen is that there's some giant companies outside of the U.S. that are doing really well. Uh, you know, we own positions in uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, for example, and uh, Infineon and STM. And so, you know, as as you look at these, uh, you know, these. Uh, uh, component companies, some of the great component companies in the world are outside the U.S. And so that's, you know, n- that's naturally causing an increase in our weighting outside the U.S. because these great companies are continuing to get larger and more powerful. Great. Okay. And then I, I wonder if we should just wrap up by doing a quick sort of look into 2022 um, there, do you have any sort of final thoughts on the year ahead? Are there any exciting IPOs coming up or any sectors that we should be looking out for? Mike, I'll put that to you first. Well, I, I think on the IPO side, I think Walt and I would both, both tell you, you know, IPO fatigue. There have been lots of IPOs this year. So um, I think that, you know, I, I have less thoughts about IPOs in, in 2022. Look, I, you know, Continue to see healthy IT budgets, you know, for things like security, you know, like digital transformation. Um, you know, we've seen nice surveys there. Um, you know, I think it gets a little harder sledding uh, for some of the tech companies, you know, as we go from kind of a knee-jerk recovery type of uh, buying environment to a more disciplined buying environment. Having said that, you know, I've heard things that say just the opposite, that 2022 is the first year that companies will have a just a clean slate post the pandemic post the pandemic to really focus on their infrastructure. So and then that's a pretty good backdrop uh, for spending when you have scenarios like that, uh, because there's the journey for many of these companies is a multi-year journey in order to replatform, in order to kind of you know, 
put their products in a position where they're really meeting their customers digitally. So, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty, pretty, um, you know, optimistic, you know, modestly optimistic about, about 2022. Um, you know, I don't think I'm ever, you know, super optimistic at this time, regardless, just kind you know, just kind of the nature of how, you know, how we think about things. Great. Walter, anything to add? Well, I think the headwind of uh, valuation is uh, is one that we're we're concerned about in 2022 and 2023. Uh, I think uh, offsetting that, you have very high growth rates, and so uh, we think just like 2021 was a year when a lot of these high growth companies started to grow into their valuations. Their their stock prices didn't go up as fast as their revenues and earnings went up. I think 2022 will be another year like that. Um, but you know, as I've been, as I've said before, I think this is the golden age of technology. You have a labor shortage. You have a need for technology like you haven't had in, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years. Um, you have some huge transformations in the world that have to be uh, helped by technology, um, and uh, we think it's a great time to be a technology investor. Brilliant. Okay, that seems a good note to end on. Um, thank you so much, Walter and Mike. Um, I think we'll wrap up there. Um, if you have any questions on the trust, please do go to the website www.allianztechnologytrust.com or contact one of the sales team. Um, so thank you both again for those insights today and thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you.